We're going to be in Luke chapter 18 this morning um, as we continue to look at these parables from the Gospel of Luke. If you have a Bible and want to turn there, the New Testament is like the last third of the Bible, and it goes Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are these firsthand eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. Um, you can just listen along too because um, that's how God's people always got his word was by listening orally. Well, I guess you can't listen orally. Someone speaks orally and you listen auditorially. That sounds like a word. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Um, so this morning we're going to talk about prayer. It's funny because y'all are at church right now. Um, surprise. Uh, if, you're in, if you're not intending to be on church, I'm sorry. Um, but that's where you are. And uh, one thing, if, even if you know nothing about church, you could probably assume that w- something that would happen there is that someone would pray. That seems pretty central to, you know, religious worship of any kind. I, I, I guess there probably are religions where prayer is not part of the rhythm, but uh, talking to God is central to, you know, what we do here in worship. And prayer, if you think about it, there's like a thousand reasons to think that it's really silly because what it looks like from the outside is you just sitting quietly with your eyes closed or sitting quietly with other people with your eyes closed while one of them talks to someone that no one can see or sitting by yourself talking to someone that no one can see. That one's even the most silly looking, of course. Um, and so once we realize how silly it seems, then we, the question is, well, why do we do this in the first place? Why should we, why should we pray? Um, I had a friend, and uh, she was known as the person that when she prayed, the thing that she prayed for happened, you know? The, the Bible says the Lord hears the prayer of a righteous person, so I assume that she was a very particularly righteous person. Um, but, for example, one time she and her sister were flying to New York City in the early 2000s, and they prayed together. They held hands and bowed their heads on the plane and prayed that they, on their trip, would meet the uh, action movie star Vin Diesel. And... Um, this, big, this was when the first Fast and the Furious movie came out, which they're still coming out, um, and uh, all these years later. So they prayed, and lo and behold, they, uh, they got into Total Request Live that day with Carson Daly on MTV, and the guest that day was Vin Diesel, and they did indeed get to meet Vin Diesel. Now, if I uh, got that kind of results from prayer, then I would pray a lot, a lot more than I do now. Um, most of the time when I'm praying, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing. So if that's you, then you're in good company. Well, you're in company. Um, and uh, if you got those kind of results, you might pray more too. But what if there is a better reason to pray even than you get what you ask for? Um, I think Jesus wants to show us a better reason to pray in this passage. Uh, this is Luke 18, 1 through 8. Uh, let's give our attention to what Jesus has to say to us in this parable. This is the word of the living God. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, a lot of self-awareness from this person, obviously. Um, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, 
Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Amen. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Amen. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we cry out to you with a voice just like this little one. And Lord, you hear us. You care for us as this mother cares for her little one. And Lord, we thank you that you're tender toward us, that you speak to us, that you are not, you don't recoil at the sound of our cry, but you are motivated to act and to move toward us and to comfort us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would meet us now in your word, that we would see what kind of judge you are, Lord Jesus, and that by seeing what kind of judge you are, uh, Lord, we would, we would come to you in prayer all the time. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So what these parables do, these stories that Jesus would tell, is he shows us in these parables things that we can't see with our eyes. He actually shows us what's invisible. He would show us things like the kingdom or faith or God um, or what God is like, things that aren't readily obvious to our eyes. He would use these stories of things that we're used to seeing to show us what's invisible uh, about the spiritual uh, realm and reality. And Jesus in this parable is showing us the kind of judge that God is. He wants us to see that God is a judge and what kind of judge God is. And that if we actually see and understand and hold fast to the kind of judge God is, then that will free us to pray. So in this, to, to do that, he uses this parable about a mean judge and an annoying widow. Okay? Um, I'm fascinated by the characters that Jesus uses in his stories. Uh, very few of them seem like the kind of people that you would want to use in a story, and yet they are his favorite. So these, these are the characters that he uses to show us what kind of judge God is. He uses a judge and a widow, a have and a have not. This judge, as he is so self-aware to say about himself, uh, does not uh, fear God nor respect man. When he says self, I neither fear God nor respect man. Um, <clears throat> really, he has no basis, interestingly, for justice if he doesn't fear God or respect people. If he, he doesn't believe that there is, uh, there's this divine justice um, he doesn't believe that God requires us to live justly, nor does he have empathy for other humans. He dismisses the needs of others. So if you don't uh, believe in divine justice and you don't have compassion for other people, why would you ever be a judge in the first place? Uh, the, he's likely a judge because in this culture, I don't know about our culture, I think we hold judges in, high, in, in this good esteem in our culture, but uh, a judge was someone that was really well thought of and really well connected. Uh, being a judge would provide you connections, upward mobility, and good pay. So he is in a power structure that he's neither using to serve God nor to serve others. That's the judge. And then there's this widow. Now, we may think that this is, a, this is like an older woman whose husband has died late in, in life, but that's probably not the case. Uh, people died much younger in these days um, than they do now. So she's not necessarily old, but she is almost certainly at the bottom of the social strata. 
Uh, she's likely to be impoverished and oppressed. That's why she's coming to this judge. Uh, in these days, a widow um, would not receive her husband's inheritance when her husband died. The inheritance would actually go to the next male member of the family, and there was an understanding that that family member would take care of this widow, but if that didn't happen, she had no recourse. She had nowhere to go um, if she was taken advantage of. And widows were often sold into slavery in order to survive because they would be forgotten by their family. So when this woman comes to this judge with her plea for justice, this is a cry for help for someone who has nowhere else to go. Where else can she turn to get the help that she needs? But for this judge who's in the judging game to serve himself, not to serve God or to serve others, there is absolutely no incentive for him to spend his time helping this woman. She can't help him at all. She can't do anything to advance his career. She can't pay him. So there's no value in this case for him. And so there's no reason for him to give this woman the time of day and the cycle continues. And Jesus shows us that the only reason why this judge actually hears her case and gives her justice isn't because of the merits of the case, isn't because uh, he feels compassion for this woman, isn't because the word of God like pricks his conscience and changes him. He gives her justice simply because she is so annoying that she won't leave him alone. Have you ever been motivated to do something because someone wouldn't leave you alone? They wouldn't stop asking. They wouldn't stop emailing you about something over and over again. Or that you got up off the couch to make that sandwich because the person was asking over and over and over again for you to make them a sandwich. Sometimes, if you're little, to get what you need, you have to keep uh, persisting. He gives this woman justice because she is so persistently annoying and aggravating. The Greek, which is the original language, actually says that she was beating him down. Like, this is the word for physically assaulting him by continuing to show up again and again and again. He has to get rid of this lady, and so he gives her justice. Now, Jesus is using this example um, to show us that God is also a judge. Um, that actually throughout the scripture, God is referred to regularly as a judge, the judge of all the earth. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're, if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia stories, Aslan, who is this huge lion, he's the Jesus figure in that story. Um, he, at the same time, uh, will, will play in the grass with the Pevensey children, and they can pull on his mane and jump on his back and snuggle with him. But when he comes to judge, his face is so terrible that the children are too horrified to look at. It's too scary that he is about justice. And when he brings his justice, it's for real. Um, and our hearts, you know, you, you might be here and be like, you know, that's part of Christian spirituality that I just can't jive with that. Um, you know, I believe God's loving. Uh, the justice, the judging part is not for me. I don't think God would be like that. Um, actually, I think that all of our hearts long for things to be made right, for the world to be put to rights, for every failure to love, to be reckoned with. And the good news for us is that God is a judge and that he will be our judge. It won't be us people with our limited perspectives and our mess ourselves, but a God of love will come to judge. But if Jesus is telling us this story and saying God is better than the judge in this story, then it's not a very inspiring story for the kind of judge that God is. 
If you read it at first, you would think that Jesus was saying that God is comparatively better than the judge in the story, but the judge in the story is like the worst case scenario judge. Just like Jesus tells this other story, like uh, how many of you, if, you're, if your child is, is hungry, instead of an egg, will give them a scorpion? It's like, well, God's better than that. It's like, well, yeah, who's going to give their kid a scorpion? You know, um, Jesus isn't comparing God as judge with this judge. I think what he's doing is he's actually contrasting God as judge with this judge. He's showing that God is a completely different kind of judge in this man, that the only thing that the God of the universe, the judge of all the earth, has in common with this judge is in the end, they both give justice. But our God, the God of the Scripture, is a righteous judge who is motivated by love for his people. God is in the place of power, the highest seat of power, and he uses it consistently for love and justice for the oppressed, for the widow, and for the orphan. God uses his power for the good of of the other. And that's part of Jesus' point of why we can keep praying to him. But what what I want us to, to, to reflect on during our time is that true faith depends on knowing how different God is than the judge in this story. That you're actually supposed to see this judge as the opposite of our God. And from what I can gather, Jesus uses this example of this judge because this is exactly how we tend to think God is. When we think about God as a judge, we think about him often, I don't know about you, but I do, like the judge in this story. That he actually doesn't really care about us. That he'll only give us justice in the end because he needs to get us off his back. Because ultimately all we are is a bother to him. Um, we think of, of, of God often like a distracted dad. You know, he's trying to get important work done and you have to keep coming to him over and over and over again to get him to look at your, at your coloring book page or to watch you do a flip off the diving board. You have to beg him to watch you because he's basically disinterested. But if we pester him enough, he might give in. Uh, in short, many of us think that God is contractually obligated to love us. But he doesn't want to, and he's mostly annoyed by our petty questions. Because after all, what can we offer him that he doesn't already have? Um, <clears throat> part of that, I think, is because uh, you and I often think that um, God feels the same way about us that we feel about ourselves. Um, I heard someone recently say that our feelings don't tell us anything true about the world, they just tell us things that are true about ourselves. So it's not that she makes me angry, it's that she reveals that I'm a deeply angry person. Um, our feelings don't necessarily re- uh, reveal anything true about God, but they reveal lots of true things about what we think God is like. So we think God feels the same way as us. So if I'm doing good, Uh, If I'm pleased with myself, then God is pleased with me too. So why pray? Why speak to him about anything? Or if I'm feeling like a failure, God thinks I'm a failure. So why pray? It's not just a false belief, but it's actually poison to our souls. Because one way or the other, uh, we don't move toward God. Um, I hear this sometimes when I ask people, how's it going with Jesus? Which is a very pastor question to ask people. Um, Because it's a weird question. How's it going with Jesus? Um, How are you and Jesus doing? And a lot of the answers that that I hear and that I would probably give if you asked me the same question 
have to do with how, uh, how well I feel like my parenting is going or whether I feel like I'm committed enough, I'm reading the scripture enough or praying enough. G- generally, the answer has nothing to do with Jesus. I'm like, I just asked you how it was going with Jesus and you, talk, you talked about reading, you know, how well you're reading or how well you're parenting. Uh, a, student's, a student, when I was doing RUF at Appalachian, go Nears, um, uh, I once was talking to a student about this opportunity that she had. She was really excited about and hopeful for, and I asked her if she was praying because I wanted to join her in praying for this awesome opportunity. And she said, I haven't really been praying. I want it a lot, so God probably won't give it to me. She had this understanding of God that she would want beautiful things, and what was best for her was always for God to withhold it. The subtext is God doesn't want to give me good things. So often we assume that God is like this judge, that he's arbitrary or dismissive, distracted, or that he's like, you know, I gave you the Bible, I gave you the church, Jesus died on the cross, I would have thought by this point you'd be further along. Um, And those, those are the voice of our insecurities and fears. And we often let them be louder in our hearts than God's voice. Um... So this, this morning, I was, I was, really, uh, I was really struggling, um, just emotionally, and have been since yesterday, and uh, with just a lot of um, self, like just self-pity and uh, frustration. And so I reached out to my, my good friend, and, um, who preached here a couple of months ago, and uh, we talk a lot. He's also a pastor. And I asked him to pray for me. Um, but I asked him to pray for you because I was afraid to preach. Um, and I asked him um, to ask God to protect you from me and what I might say. And uh, he, <clears throat> he messaged me back. I know he was, it woke him up. Um, but he messaged me back. I'll read it <clears throat> so I can have a moment to compose myself. And uh, he said, God will, always, God will show up. He always does. Your people don't need to be protected from you. You are a gift to them. That's why you're here. Um, thank you, David. And he said, the, de- the devil's got you all twisted up. Um, <clears throat> faith can distinguish between my voice and God's voice. In the moment of that message, I mean, I... I had to choose whether to believe that God needed to protect you from me or whether God gave me as a gift to you. And that is before us all the time. Faith can distinguish between my voice and God's voice, between your voice and God's voice, and faith can give attention to God's voice over the voice in your own heart. Jesus is greater than our hearts. And Jesus tells us in this passage exactly what God is like. If you look at verse 7 and 8, He says, and will not God give justice to his elect, his chosen ones, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Here's what he meant by that. Um, In Luke 18, Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. He he and his friends are traveling to Jerusalem. It's going to be the last time he ever arrives in the city before his death. And just a few days from this, on Good Friday, uh, 
he would be betrayed and brought in on bogus charges before truly unjust judges. The religious leaders and Herod and Pilate. And he would be denied justice. He would be beaten mercilessly and forced to carry the instrument of his own execution, forsaken by those he loved. And then at the cross, he cried out to God. But there was no answer for him. No justice coming speedily from God. And he did that willingly because he loved his people, you, so much that he was taking the justice due for our failure to love so that you wouldn't be consumed by it. So that there could be a voice louder to you than your own self-condemnation and louder even than God's just condemnation. It's that crucified Savior who is the judge of all the earth, who is returning again to judge each of us. We are sinners. We believe lies about God and about ourselves, and we act on them. And that sin must be made right. It must be done away with. But Jesus, the judge of all the earth, has been judged for us. And he did that so that he could invite us into closeness with him. I've told this story before. As long as I'm preaching here, I will probably tell this story at least once a year and forget that I told it. Um, So here it is again. I have a friend named Ricky. Um, He's a good friend. And uh, when he was a child, he was the youngest of all his brothers. And so he, um, one year, he made drawings for his family for Christmas. And he gave one to all, each of his brothers and his mom and dad. And then at the end of Christmas Day, he looked in the trash and found all of his drawings in the trash except one. You can probably guess who saved the drawings, right? Knowing nods from moms in the room. I see you, Barb Wagner. Okay. And so he decided in that moment, I'm getting none of the rest of these fools anything next year for Christmas. That's number one. Number two, I'm going to get my mom a real gift next year. And so he decided at that moment, he was five years old. And uh, so the next year, late November, early December, he, uh, he goes in and asks his mom. He says, Mom, has there any, been anything you've been wanting for Christmas this year? Um, and she said, well, this was the late 70s, early 80s, by the way. Uh, she said, that I've seen some earrings at Kmart that I really liked, and I'd like to get those. And he's like, oh, okay, great, great, great. This was, is there still Kmart? Kmart still a thing? Blue light special? Okay. Um, uh, in the first service, I said red light special, by the way, which is not the same thing. I don't think they're selling that at Kmart. Um, <clears throat> but... Um, he said, well, how much, are these, how much are these earrings? And she said, oh, they're like $10. And he's like, okay, cool, 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 thanks. Hey, super unrelated question. Um, do you know how I can make some money? <laughs> I'm looking. Because when you're five or six, your lim- options are limited. And um, uh, do you know how I can make like, I don't know, like 10 bucks? And uh, <clears throat> she says, well, yeah, she, she gives him a job t- collecting sticks in the yard and carrying them across the street and dumping them on the other side which I assume is someone else's yard, but I don't. <laughs> His name is the mom was paying back the neighbor. And uh, so she gives him $10. He's like, hey, cool, thank you. Um, hey, is there like any chance you're going to any stores soon? <laughs> like I, I could go to Kmart. I got to pick up a few things. And um, so she drives 30 minutes to Kmart. And um, 
And she shows him the, the, the earrings, and then she walks off to give him space to shop, and he shops, he checks out. They get home, he's got the box, and so he goes in his room to wrap it. But I'm 37 years old, and I can't still figure out how you wrap something that's in a square format. Especially if it's a roll, it's even worse. Daddy, yeah, you know how it is. And um, Rosie is six, and she, you know how to wrap presents. Yeah, you're good at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never learned. And uh, he wasn't good at it either, but he, you were better than him. And um, so he's all frustrated, so he takes it to his mom because he wants it to be nice. He says, Mom, would you wrap this box for me? And so she gets the gold paper, and she can make those tight mom corners on a box, you know? And, like, only the people in the store know how to do that. And uh, she, she wraps it in gold paper, and she puts ribbon, and then she's, you know, with the, the scissors on the ribbon to make it curl, you know? And so he gets it, and he puts it under the tree. And on Christmas morning, he's the first one up, the first one to the tree, because he wants to give the first, the first gift. So he takes from under the tree the gift, and he gives it to his mother. He places in her hands the gift that she, that she asked for and she paid for. And she undoes the curly cues that she tied herself and unwraps the present that she wrapped herself and paid for and drove to the store to pick out. That she did all the work to get. And her face lights up and she says, Ricky, she gathers him into her arms and says, it's just what I wanted. How did you know? That's a picture of the grace of our Lord Jesus to us, the judge of all the earth. To pay for everything and supply everything we could possibly need just simply so that we could return it to him. And he does it because he delights in us. He delights in our coming to him. <clears throat> you know, the scripture says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The gift that we have to return to Jesus is being satisfied and delighted in him. We don't trust our faith, we trust Jesus. We don't trust whether we believe enough or obey enough, but we trust that Jesus is enough, that he is our beloved, and our beloved is ours. In that story I was talking about earlier, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, or Norrell, there's all these pathways to this land called Ferry, and none one has been able to get to Ferry for hundreds of years. But suddenly these pathways become open again because magic returns to England. And what looked just like an overgrown lane becomes a path to a completely different world, a magical world where magic is real. And what Jesus did, the judge of all the earth, was he opened the pathways to heaven and invites you now to walk down them. Jesus told his disciples, and he's telling us, I love you, come to me, all the pathways to heaven are open. And if you're disinterested in God this morning, I have good news. He is not disinterested in you. <clears throat> and as I bring this thing down, um, I just want to, if the judge judge frees you, he frees you to pray with hope for the impossible. Knowing that he is attentive to your cry takes your focus off of yourself and puts it onto Jesus. I had a student in RUF who, she was a freshman. She grew up in a church like, like Redeemer, a good church. She was solid, kind. She led Bible studies. But it was kind of like she was always just good. And I thought, I don't know what spiritually was going on with her all these four years. 
her last semester, I sat down with her for coffee and I said, what happened with, what, how did it go with Jesus these last four years? And she said, I used to care about what God could do for me. Now I just want to be with him. And that's it. When Jesus at the end of this passage says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? He's saying, am I going to find people that are like this widow who cry out to me day in and day out to pour it out knowing that he loves to hear, that he's listening, and that he will act? So whatever you're praying for, or more appropriately, the thing that you want to pray for but you don't because you're afraid of being disappointed, uh, there's a call to take it up and pray again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are coming again to make all things new. And we will know fully then, even as we have the hope now, we feel the spray now from the wave of your coming. Lord, that you will gather us up to yourself. And we will know that we are your delight and that you are ours. Lord, help us to pray to know exactly what you are like, that we would run to you. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.